pick up every stitch. You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. You got to pick up every stitch, yeah. Beatniks are to make it rich. Oh no, must be the season of the rich. Must be the season of the rich, yeah. Hello everybody and welcome to another glorious episode of Nostalgia Be Damned. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. A.K.A. DJ Standard Death. <laughs> Four by three. Yup. Uh, this is the show where we take some of your favorite movies that you may not have seen in a while and we kind of look at them with a bit more objectiveness. Uh, you know, just try and see, are they worth remembering and thinking fondly of or are they terrible piles of garbage? This week's selection... I think will be remembered fondly by a lot of people. Some people, I think, not fans. This is probably one of our more controversial episodes. This week we watched 1999's horror mockumentary, The Blair Witch Project. Before we get into some of the nuts and bolts, Zach, tell me about how you first watched this movie. Dude, I first watched this movie the only way I can think to know how back when it came out, which was illegally streaming it on my laptop. <laughs> uh, I did not see this movie when it came out. Uh, this I, I've mentioned before on this show that when I was younger, horror was not specifically my game. I, I, I showed very little interest in it. Um, but, you know, that this was kind of a movie that had become sort of a legend among moviegoers so it it was one that i was like all right well i i should probably watch it and so i threw it up on my laptop um and watched it probably when i was i don't know maybe 15 16 years old it, a good solid like almost five to six years after it came out well what were your thoughts when you first saw it i guess i liked it i i i know this movie even before i saw it that it had an influence over a lot of sort of the quote found footage movies that we have today, like uh, uh, Cloverfield or Paranormal Activity, those kind of movies. So I I kind of knew that I was watching a pioneer when I walked into it, and maybe that gave me a different understanding of it. But I remember really liking the movie, um, being a little bit confused by some of what was happening towards the end. I grew to like some of the uh, ambiguousness that this film uh, had in it. So I, I, I remember really liking this film back when I, when I first watched it. See, I remember this first coming out, when it first came out on VHS, it was one of the few movies my dad actually picked up as soon as it hit the stores because people were just always talking about this movie, whether it was real or not, and we, it was right at the kind of start of the internet being in, in homes across America, like, you know, middle class homes were finally getting access to the World Wide Web. However, I, I never got access to any of the, uh, you know, faux documentaries or newsreels and any of the shit, the, the urban legend that they built online about this, I never knew about it until much later in life. However... My dad and my mom, I remember, kept having arguments over whether or not this was real. My dad was like, I think people say it's real. I'm pretty sure it's real. And so it was never like they, they weren't planning on going to see it in theaters or anything. But when it first came out on VHS, I remember I wasn't allowed to watch it just because um, at the time I was like eight. And I, by that time, I had already seen, I think, Scream and Halloween. But this one, they weren't sure. No one really knew what was to be in it, um, except for the people who had obviously seen it in theaters. And by that time, they had heard either it was awesome or it was a piece of shit and people demanded like, refunds and were really angry that they spent $10 on what was not a conventional horror movie. 
So at this point, my dad, when he finally did get the chance to see it and realized it was a movie, really didn't like it. And he told me at the time that it wasn't worth watching. And so for the longest time, I just didn't bother with it. And then I remember, I think I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. And one of my most prized possessions at that point in time was a portable DVD player. It had maybe like an eight inch screen and you literally just flipped it up. It looked like an old ass Walkman, essentially just with a screen. You put your DVD in the top of it anyway. And it was one of the first uh, movie going experiences I had on it. I was sleeping downstairs in my in my room, which was in the basement, and I just vividly remember this movie experience. It's one of the most memorable of my life. I watched The Blair Witch Project for the first time on that portable DVD player, maybe a foot away from my face in the pitch dark in the middle of the night, all alone in my house. I remember my parents were gone that weekend, and I had my headphones in, and I knew it was a fake. At this point, everyone knew it was a hoax, and no one believed that it was a true story whatsoever. Uh, so watching it, I knew it wasn't real, but it was honestly... I'd say next to maybe watching the first Halloween when I was a little kid and being scared of the boogeyman, I'd say it's honestly the last time I've been scared on a primal level watching a movie. Like, it actually freaked me the fuck out. And it was it was nothing that you saw, as anyone who's seen the movie knows, uh, but, but it was just the environment, the atmosphere they created, and the believability of it all at the time. And their, the sound design in the movie, especially with headphones in a dark room with that screen just inches away from your face, man, it, that was one of the fucking most terrifying movie experiences of my life. Well, I'm glad neither of us saw this in theaters because I feel like this is a movie that... Uh, it really almost needs to be appreciated on VHS, on like crappy VHS quality, uh, a low standard uh, television. Unfortunately, neither of us really had one of those on this viewing. We watched the Blu-ray, which is a little hard to swallow uh, because this movie is shot in standard def and it is full screen, so watching it on Blu-ray kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it really. I, I I questioned why I was doing what I was doing when I bought it. I was like, why? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? There's, you're watching a standard def movie. There's no extra features or anything. So it really, you know, I had the DVD. The DVD was serviceable. I should have just kept it in standard def where it belonged. But for whatever reason, man. I am a compulsive Blu-ray buyer, which, by the way, I beg. This movie really deserves the uh, the behind the scenes kind of. Maybe when that when it, next year, 2019, when it's celebrating its 20th anniversary, they'll do a big release. Because honestly, behind the scenes of this movie is much more fascinating than the movie itself. And also, this really doesn't have a whole lot about the making of out there. There is no behind the scenes making of featurettes or anything like that. It's all in kind of oral history and director commentary, any of the information that's out there. And I think it's fucking fascinating, man. Well, I think it, part of the reason they do that is because this is one of our first infant instances of like highly successful viral marketing. Uh, people weren't, they put out wanted posters for these fucking actors or like missing posters for these fucking actors with their names, actual heights and dates and so this a lot of people believed that what they were seeing was a real fucking found footage movie, um, which is just insane. Why would anybody think that in hindsight? But they did such a great, successful job at making it seem like, no, these kids really went missing. They're really dead. We don't know what the fuck's going on. And so I think that's why they kept so much of the behind the scenes stuff, at least initially under wraps. Because, you know, it, it kind of goes into this myth that the Blair Witch Project is just like, oh, is it real? Is it not? I remember even the first time I saw it, I was still kind of unsure, even though there were definitely articles out there 
disproving that it was real. I was even I was like, wait, did this actually happen? That's insane. And and what I really want to get into on this podcast episode, Zach, is whether or not the movie holds up on a second viewing or revisiting it. Uh, is this is this movie more of a prank than a movie? Is this more of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds than an actual feature film narrative? Uh, and that's what I kind of want to get into this more rather than the quality of the actual film. However, we'll, we'll touch on that uh, for sure. But before we get into that, let's get into a little bit of the behind the scenes. It's got a 6.4 on IMDb, which, by the way, lower than Hocus Pocus. Yep. I'm wondering if maybe for a running joke, we should just continue to <laughs> determine to whether or not everything to Hocus Focus. Lower. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to our listeners who have returned, by the way. Um, we realize we might have pissed off a lot of loyal vi- listeners who really like this movie. <laughs> I think we did, but we've also had a few people reach out and say, you know what? I 100% agree. And I, uh, you know, thank you for taking the piss out of it. And we appreciate that as well. So thanks for, you know, letting us know that we're not alone. Uh, but 6.4 on IMDb and an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty high. Now, uh, there's been a lot of speculation about how much the film actually costs, but as of 2016, the filmmakers have confirmed $60,000 was about the estimated budget. Uh, it earned $140 million in the U.S. and $248 million worldwide. So technically, in terms of how much it cost to how much it earned globally, it could be considered the most profitable film of all time. Now, other movies with similar return on investments include El Mariachi, and the gallows those are movies that cost like seven thousand and ten thousand and they made like you know eight or twenty two million but to put it into context for that that's a 200 something times multiplier of your budget to how much it costs it's that's fucking insane yeah i and i know they ended up making two quote-unquote sequels of this 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 turned out to eventually be a trilogy which is bullshit um, but it it is kind of crazy to think that we don't have seven of these Blair Witch Project movies. It's it's quite unbelievable because just of how much money they made on the initial one. Well, that's what's funny is you look into some of the other. I was looking at this list of the most profitable movies, and when I say that, yeah, it's literally just the amount of your the budget tiny minuscule budgets you know they may not make transformers money but because they're making a certain amount of money you know that's all fucking profit you look at halloween texas chainsaw massacre and friday the 13th were all among the most profitable independent releases which just says one horror pays big and two you're right this if these were anything like those franchises they'd be on fucking installment 10 by now but yeah we've only gotten three yeah which i'm okay with because those other two are bullshit they're awful so this is technically the number one found footage film uh in the u.s it ranks above paranormal activity paranormal activity three and two and cloverfield which came in number five uh it is the fourth highest grossing r-rated horror movie ever behind it the exorcist and get out it came in 10th for the year of 1999 behind phantom menace the sixth sense toy story 2 austin powers 2 the matrix tarzan big daddy the mummy and runaway bride Now, as you mentioned before, it did spawn two sequels, Book of Shadows, which was released in October of 2000, and Blair Witch, which was released in September of 2016. Have you seen either of those, Zach? Uh, I saw Blair Witch. It was fucking awful. I hated it. (laughs) I did not see Book of Shadows. I was actually super excited for Blair Witch when I found out it was directed by Adam Wingard, who did The Guest and You're Next. I really like that guy. I like his filmmaking style, and him and his writing partner, Simon Barrett, were, were doing this. But it was also kind of a strange way to market a film because they originally released it as The Woods. People, no one knew what it actually was. And then I think it was like 
what, two weeks or so before the movie dropped? It was very short time before the actual movie dropped. They said, no, this actually isn't The Woods. It's the fucking Blair Witch. It's a sequel to the original film. It kind of, I was like, oh, that's really a cool way to modernize the viral marketing or at least do something, you know, brand new in a way. Um, it, but it did not hit at all. It made like 20 million less actually than the Book of Shadows one, which every was one of the most maligned sequels in horror history. That movie has a 4.0 on uh, IMDb. It's one of those movies, however, that's kind of gained a cult status one. It's almost so bad it's good, but people really kind of find new meaning and hidden themes and all this shit. They really dissect this movie. This franchise has a number of fans that just really delve deep into this urban legend shit, man. It, like researching this movie is by far the most fascinating part about. It. Yeah, and I I can understand where people come from kind of getting into the lore of this. I love uh occult movies. That those are the kind of horror movies that I like. That's why I really enjoyed Hereditary. Um I really enjoyed The Ritual that we saw. Well, I I enjoyed about 90% of The Ritual, <laughs> um which is on Netflix. This dives in straight into American folklore and just kind of, you know, weird urban legends that you hear from small towns. And it's really kind of charming in its setup. It's brilliant. It is a brilliant setup for a horror movie. And, and there it had been done before. There was uh, Ruggiero Diodato's uh, Cannibal Holocaust, which I actually got into in my college years when I was trying to watch like the most fucked up movies of all time, just movies that really made you uncomfortable and were unsettling and shit. Uh, and yeah, that one used the found footage approach in which you're seeing supposed cobbled together footage. But the making of this movie is just absolute insanity. So the, the legend, this American contemporary folklore was fabricated by the filmmakers. So it was directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Merrick went on to direct just one movie called The Objective. Sanchez directed a few movies, Altered, Seventh Moon, Lovely Molly, the A Ride in the Park segment from VHS 2. That's the one with the zombie with the GoPro. I don't know if you've seen the uh, VHS movies. And uh, the found footage Sasquatch flick exists. So it seemed as though these two guys and the entire cast fucking vanished after this movie. And to think to have such a profitable independent movie that studios would be knocking their doors down to try to get them to do something else. But no, like these guys fucking disappeared. You almost have the sense that uh, other studios I probably didn't like this movie just because of uh, maybe even just pure jealousy, like that the fact that it cost so little and made so much, um, but it was also cheaply done, and it was just kind of, I, I don't know, it almost seemed very guerrilla in the way that they shot it. They kind of stepped around all of the norms that you see in Hollywood, and it almost makes you wonder if maybe there was a little bit of resentment from other studios. Supposedly, one of the lead, the lead actress in the movie, Heather Donahue, says she was kind of blacklisted for doing this movie and the viral stunt of making it. And they were a lot of them were listed as dead on the IMDb credits page. Like they went into depth into convincing the public this was real found footage. Honestly, it, it obviously worked. You couldn't pull this off today. There's way too much internet speculation and, you know, things to debunk you. You could not pull off this kind of marketing today, I think. In total, the movie took about eight days to shoot. They started off in the real town of Burkittsville, Maryland, and then went into a few state parks. Uh, they essentially shot the movie in what can only really be described as like a creepy scavenger hunt style. So the actors camped in real tents with the equipment, 
every single night they shot all of their own footage with the crew kind of shadowing them from a distance using walkie talkies to communicate with the actors only in emergency situations. So almost all of the dialogue was improvised. There were a few key scenes that they know they needed to hit on in order to progress the plot a bit, but all of the, the dialogue really is for the most part improvised while the crew would create commotions to incite the required reactions off screen. So basically the directors were playing the Blair Witch. They wind up, they wound up blaring children laughing and cackling through loudspeakers in the middle of the night. The actors were given a GPS unit, which was pre-programmed pre daily to let them know where they were supposed to go and what time they were supposed to be there. It, eventually, over time, they wore their actors down a lot. Like, based on the director's commentary, they, they gave them less and less food throughout the shoot so that they were getting more angry with each other and, and pestered, and I think you can see that in their performance. And so, for the most part, while they did have a cinematographer who he had hired, who they had hired to kind of just be a, a, a reference point, I guess, to make sure that some of the footage was looking okay, only the real end scene is anything that's kind of staged. Like, they went through that a few times, but nothing was really taken again. Apparently, they had something like 20 hours of footage that was edited down to 81 minutes. You know, and it's funny, too, because I... I always have wanted to make a movie like this where it's just like, I don't know, you guys just go for it, let it become a movie by itself. I think it's cool, and I it it's weird how it kind of brings out the performances of the actors in this movie, because it kind of makes sense that what you were saying, like they progressively gave them less food and less direction, and you know the, the actors were clearly getting tired and more and more messy it's a cruel thing to do to your actors but you can kind of see it coming out in their performances very well because at the beginning of this movie these people are in fucking sufferable <laughs> no i will agree they're not they're not great um and then as the movie progresses and as things get more desperate in the plot you can kind of see the performances of the actors they they look tired they look dirty they look frustrated and it, it shows and they brings out their performances. So I think it's kind of a brilliant way to shoot this movie. Uh, albeit very, very cruel. Now, other than the interviews at the beginning of the film, many of whom were actors that the directors planted there, the actors were, and when I say actors, I mean Heather Donahue, Josh Leonard, and Michael C. Williams. Those were the three lead characters that are on camera for the most of the film and operating the camera. They planted actors for Heather to interact with that Heather sometimes knew were actors, and other times they had no idea who they were. And so some of them were plants. Other people just bought into whatever the hell they were spilling. So like the woman with the red hair in the beginning who's talking with her child she apparently was just like some fucking townie who just like went along with it and lied about like shit like she heard and stuff and oh yeah like use that because again people just bought into oh you're making a movie about a witch or a legend oh i've heard something about that this or that but people apparently really disliked heather's performance in this so much so she was nominated she actually won the razzie award for worst actress this movie yeah, was yeah, nominated yeah. for worst picture at the razzies because again despite critics initially praising the film roger ebert for instance he gave it four stars called it a horror classic then came the Blair Witch backlash and I think that was because people were just simply expecting a much more conventional horror film you don't see the Blair Witch or anything really horrific in the entire movie and I'm also just because I know I'm gonna end up bringing it up anyway I'm gonna go ahead and agree with people who didn't like Heather Donahue in this film I didn't like Heather Donahue in this film either <laughs> yeah no I hear you and I but I think that's kind of her character too isn't she supposed to be like a bullish director who you know is is just so entitled and she kind of is the reason why they kind of get lost out here in the first place. I think you're initially supposed to hate her character and slowly come around to her. Um, and so while I disliked her character immensely, I, I think she gets a little too much shit for this performance. I, I think she's really good towards the end, 
I think, when she's that whole fucking iconic poster shot and her snotting all over the camera. Like she she delivers a good monologue there. Well, again, I think it it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier at the beginning when the actors are comfortable and they're happy to be making a movie. They're bad actors. They're being bad actors in it. And then towards the end, when they've kind of got the motivation behind him, I think it brings out the best in their abilities and their performances. So we open very simplistically. A little title card tells us in October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. So what we are meant to to believe is that the directors of this movie, who actually portray characters in a behind-the-scenes, like, Curse of the Blair Witch mockumentary, which was released on the Sci-Fi Channel at the exact same time to kind of build the lore of this uh, movie, they had so much things that were running subsequent to the release the movie other than the website like dossiers and novels and comic books and video games and it's fucking ridiculous the amount of like backstory and legend and lore that they built around this story without it even being in the movie itself which is why they claim that if you really want the true Blair Witch experience that you have to do all this research and read all this shit but we're focusing on the movie because that's what you're it's a movie right so here we go we're definitely in the mid 90s man because there's flannel and baggy jeans galore and we get introduced to (laughs) the mom jeans that heather donahue's wearing sexy dude sexy we loved our Mm -hmm. mom jeans yeah we did so we're introduced to our three film students uh heather mike and josh uh heather and josh clearly have uh, a relationship seem to be friends or or peers in their filmmaking class or whatnot mike is a friend who's coming in to do sound for the camera um and then heather and josh i think like you said are kind of already collaborating together this is clearly heather's project she's the one in charge she's the one uh setting the schedule for the shoot she's got all of the knowledge and information and uh, josh is just kind of there to help with the camera the documentary that they're making is a combination of interviews with townsfolk and then a lot of her on camera like stand-up style delivering these like tidbits of information guess what i don't want to see the documentary that they're making josh can't operate the camera worth a shit she's a terrible on-camera personality the documentary they're making fucking sucks don't want to watch that <laughs> but i do like them interviewing these townsfolks because they feel very authentic the people that they're talking to just about this local legend now if you didn't know anything really about the blair witch which i didn't going in and you know you assume the viewers don't as well the movie itself is very strange about how it unveils the kind of legend of this creature, this 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 person, whatever the spirit. I don't again, I don't even really know what the Blair Witch is because people describe it as different things and and I like the ambiguousness of it and to be honest that's probably uh the best thing it's got going for it. Yeah, there's the only one consistent story that the townies tell and it's about this hermit that was living out in the woods and how he kidnapped six kids or eight kids back in the 1940s and ended up killing them. And he kind of go, you know, one of the townies goes into like how he would kill these kids. Like he would make one of them stand in the corner and face the wall while he killed the other ones. And nobody really knows why that's really the only consistent story that they're telling, which seems odd because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Blair Witch. It's just kind of supposed to give you this idea that people don't know what are in these woods, but something in it is fucked up. Something drives people nuts or, you know, or there have just been nuts things going on in those woods. Yeah, there's there's a lot of names they start throwing out here fast and furiously. The first one, yeah, was Rustin Parr, who is this hermit who killed those eight children. 
Then they are also talking about a young girl named Robin Weaver, who apparently went missing in 1888, and when she returned three days later, she talked about some old woman whose, whose feet never touched the ground. And then they also are talking about this woman named Mary Brown, who's apparently the town like crazy so they go interview he or her and i gotta say when you first see this goddamn woman it's super she's just unsettling like the way she's dressed she's dressed like she's from the fucking 1800s and she's just super awkward and nervous and weird and the fact that again you can tell this is all improvisation yeah because heather donahue keeps fucking interrupting her won't let her fucking finish the story heather so they're shooting the documentary on 16 millimeter on film and they're and heather is shooting all of the behind the scenes of them making this documentary on her little video camera so it will constantly cut from black and white uh, film stock to the video camera and I like this as a narrative tool the way that uh, they cut back and forth and they the uh, editors have clearly overlaid the audio underneath uh, to like kind of L cut so that you're brought into different scenes again it would feel very static if they didn't do that and it still feels you know very found footage documentary authentic style but there have been liberties taken with that yeah I do like there's something that I noticed in this film with the sound design if Mike, the sound guy, isn't using the sound equipment, but they're using the black and white camera. The only audio you hear is from the handheld camera. So if if someone is talking maybe right there, but the handheld camera is far away, you can only hear them from far away on the handheld camera. Yeah, they play with that at the end, and it is it's phenomenal. I love the way they use that at the end. Yeah, no, good good pickup. I like that. The sound design in this movie is fucking genius, I will say. Maybe they're the best part of this movie. I would agree with that. I've actually seen Book of Shadows. I watched it literally yesterday in preparation for this. Why? Because I had never seen it before, and I was also just kind of fascinated by such a bad movie. It's pretty bad, uh, but it's kind of fascinating in and of itself, too, just because of what an incoherent mess of a movie it is. But I've also seen the 2016 Blair Witch movie, uh, and you see a glimpse of the supposed Blair Witch in that movie, and I think when you do wind up showing it, it's a cool image, I'll admit. It kind of looks like something we've seen before in that movie, Wreck. I was going to say, look up look up that image because it is, it's fairly unsettling. That is, that is one of the cooler parts about that movie, I would say. Yeah, I would say it's got a nice little climax on the movie, but for the most part, you know, the foreplay, if you will, isn't worth it. You know what I mean, dude? Yeah, the rest of it's poo. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's just poo. But what I will say is they they all describe kind of what, I guess, they, they've created in that 2016 movie. Like, they tried it, the payoff of the 2016 movie is to finally show the Blair Witch. I don't know if I agree with that or not. But again, I like how everyone's describing her a little differently and just... A little off. No one can quite grasp what she looks like, and I really enjoy that because one of the things Roger Ebert mentioned in his review, what he liked about it so much, was it really instills this primal terror. Like we're 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 hardwired in our biology to just be afraid of like snakes and spiders and things and natural things um, more so than a guy in a knife or this or that. And so to tap into what's not necessarily, I mean, it's definitely supernatural, but it's also very just much a primal terror. The woods at night, I think they've done something here that we'll get into, is 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 spine tingling, at least on a first watch, if you let yourself kind of, if you, if you give yourself over to the movie. I'll say this, watch a, watch a scary movie, a movie you think is genuinely scary, like, I don't know. Uh, maybe The Exorcist or something like that. Just watch that movie, gauge how scared you are. Then in the middle of the day, doesn't matter 
what time of day, just in the middle of the day, go stand in the woods by your fucking self and tell me what's scary. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. There's something creepy. Like Heather says in the movie, there's something just creepy about the woods at night. It's, it is. it is. It's just an unsettling place. The students eventually wind up hawking, hiking rather to this place called Coffin Rock, where, again, this is another part of the legend where I guess five men were found murdered in some sort of strange-ass ritual where they were pretty much strung out in a strung line, a straight line, almost human centipede style. Not ass-to-mouth, but like hand-to-foot. Hand to to, yeah, and uh, yeah. all of them were disemboweled and strange writings were carved into their face. Again, you don't see photos or any of this. All, you're just told all of this. It's so goddamn simple, but your mind fills in the rest. Yeah, and by the way, you want to do a Blair Witch movie that's not you know, something else. Show me that fucking movie. Show me those five guys walking in the woods and getting haunted by a fucking witch. I want to see that movie. Supposedly, that was part of a planned trilogy, I guess, by the original filmmakers, is they wanted to show some of these legends in a traditional narrative. And I think that would have been cool, like, to go back to the 1800s and to see some of these, you know, the witch style, I guess, yeah. pre-witch. Yeah, I think that would have been cool. Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% be down for that. That night, they set up camp, and the next morning, Josh describes hearing. You don't even hear it that night, but he's like, I heard a lot of weird cackling that night. He, he describes it as cackling, um, cracking noises and stuff, and they shake it off. It's no big deal. It's the woods at night. There's shit outside. Yeah, probably animals. They never mention that in this movie. They never, at one point, no one ever goes, could be a deer. <laughs> yeah, there is, a, there is a part where they're like yelling at each other, like, yeah, it's probably, you know, locals out there fucking with us, or it could be something else. Like, yeah, I don't want to fuck with that either. Yeah, but that something else could just be a deer. <laughs> it could be a deer. I feel like a lot of their nervousness could just be assuaded if one person just goes, guys, it's probably a fucking deer. We're in the middle of the woods. <laughs> let's grow up there is that mention of them smoking weed the night before in the hotel room you think maybe the whole thing they were just smoked up and paranoid and they thought oh shit there's it was really just deer the whole time i hope so i hope this movie's just deer all these people are fine it's like <laughs> oh no it was deer i don't know what josh's problem was but it was deer once they watch the actual footage it's just a bunch of stoners chilling around and then eventually they run out of weed and food and and starve to death and die the Blair Bitch project and the reason every half the people thought it was a bad movie and half the people thought it was a great movie is because the people that thought it was a great movie were also stoned you fucking stoners <laughs> no the important thing in any horror movie really if you're not going to have you know your chief villain be the hero of the movie the person you're following around you got to have protagonists that you like and it's hard to like these three right off the bat but it's also hard for their personalities and their eccentricities but also none of them can read a fucking map and it begs the question like i get it like myself right now thrown into the woods i couldn't be the best cartographer however i've taken a few map classes and like hunting hunting safety courses back in the day when i was like 10 or 11 yeah some of that might kick in but none of them <laughs> can admit that they also don't know how to meet, read a map so there's just aimlessly wandering around the woods for a very long time. It, there's a plot point later on in which a character throws away the map, and part of me is infuriated by that choice, but also part of me gets it like, no one, it does nothing anyway. None of them can read a map. Yeah, and it, it is kind of like a plot hole in this movie. If you're making a documentary about, you know, the local woods, you figured you'd hire a local guide not only to, like, you know, 
help you fucking get from point A to point B, but also to tell you about the woods. And so uh, honestly, it really comes down to Heather just being poor planning and a bad documentary. It's true because Josh and Mike clearly put their faith in Heather that she's scouted this place out and has done her research well enough that she claims to know everything where everything is and how to get there. So, I mean, I, I, I get it from their perspective, but she is just seriously a foolish character. And I guess I understand all the hate she's for inept. Yeah, she is. She's and, and for all the hate that she gets, again, I think that's more for the character than the actress. I don't think she's a terrible actress. I will. I don't like the character, though. I will. I'll give you that. I think she gets better. I think she redeems herself by the end of this movie. But in, in the first half hour of this movie, I think she's a bad actress. I'll just say it. Yeah, no, I agree. And especially her line deliveries to camera. I think she's trying to put on that she's a worse actress when she's, you know what I mean, when she's doing your documentarian things. So she's doing like fake bad acting. I hear faux worry in her like, oh, like, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but I'm also clearly acting. But then as the shoot goes on and on, she's like actually like a little scared. So as they get deeper and deeper into the woods, they're clearly lost they're supposed to approach different things at at certain markers at certain times that they're just not getting to at this point mike is clearly the more volatile of all three i think i'd probably be more of a mike i'd be really pissed off even just at this point i'd keep my hand my cool a little bit longer but if she she keeps on going like oh it's just a mile up ahead oh now it's two hours away it's three hours away like eventually yeah i'm gonna start getting pissed and josh is kind of the one trying to keep the peace at this point but all three of these characters we are going to witness the deterioration of their their psyches yeah i'd probably be a josh you'd be a josh yeah i'd probably be a josh i'd you know i'd play peacekeeper for a while and i'd try and keep a little bit of optimism but i'd reach a breaking point i would be like you know what this is fucking ridiculous but you also got to look at it from Mike's perspective. He doesn't know Heather either. Mm-hmm. He's going off this from Josh's recommendation. So I guess if you're Josh and you have a relationship with Heather, you can kind of cop some of it. But I don't know. Looking at it from all three of these perspectives, at this point in the movie, Mike seems like the most sound to me. <laughs> they eventually find a small sort of makeshift cemetery with all with there are seven little piles of rocks. And they think it's maybe an Indian burial ground. But we're meant to believe the audience is that this clearly has something to do with the dead bodies that the Blair Witch is responsible for? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it, it's kind of ambiguous. Again, it kind of goes back to the thing you were talking about. They don't really do a good job of explaining the myth and that ambiguity. Ugh, I can't, ambiguousness. Uh, fuck. Ambiguity, uh, dude. It's such that, a hard fucking word. <laughs> yeah, that ambiguity. Thank you. That ambiguity works for the movie in some parts and in other parts it kind of leaves you confused because we don't know really why they're going to this cemetery or maybe where we weren't paying attention well enough but it, it you know the openness at times leaves it a good chance to be more scary because you don't know what's going on and at sort of the down moments it leaves you just a little bit more confused and honestly a little bored i hear you because this is a little bit it's just None of these things are scary on their own. It's all within the context of the film. Like, if you were to walk in on someone watching The Blair Witch Project and they're, you know, an hour, 11 minutes in when things are really fucking ramping up and you've been watching the movie the whole time, but if you were to just walk in and they're staring at, you know, trees and branches and they're clearly distressed watching the movie, I'd be confused as hell. Like, what? Why are you? Why why is is this this scary to you? Josh, you know, like a noob, he knocks over this little 
small pile of stones. And I wonder, is that what does him in first? His character is the first to go. Is that the what, what causes it, you think? Yeah, I think so. And I remember racking my brain because there, be, there comes a point where they're sort of getting fucked in the woods, fucked with in the woods, I should say, and uh, not actually being fucked. That'd be weird. But they're kind of being fucked with, and uh, Josh seems to be the one who's getting singled out. And I I kept racking my brain to try and figure out what he would have done. I thought maybe, like, some revelation would come out of, against him. Like, oh, like, Josh is a non-believer or something like that. Yeah, or he was in a Nirvana cover band. Yeah, he was in a Nirvana cover band. Like, anything like that. But I think... It's just that he knocks over one of the stones. God, one rule, dude. Don't knock over the stones. Why would he fucking... I mean, what was he doing? If I was filming that in that context, I wouldn't go fucking near those stones, let alone be clumsy enough to knock one over. What's scary is I often thought of this when I was out hiking with my friends. Like, what if we came across something similar to this? And I probably wouldn't, but the friends that I had, dude, I think they would run up and start kicking all of them over just to be assholes. Like, (laughs) again, they're not bad guys. I love them. Some of them listen to the show. They would absolutely just try to desecrate everything in sight because you know what high schoolers or college level kids or, you know, some of them do. You'd think that like kids of this generation, if they were out there, you know, yeah, maybe they're fucking taking those stones and shoving them in their ass. Who knows what they're doing with them? That's true. We don't know what kids are doing these days except listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. (laughs) So they go to bed that night uh, and they hear this is where we first start hearing some cracking branches and what sounds like something fucking charging through the woods. Again, could be a deer. Uh, the next morning, they're thinking it's either, yeah, locals who are fooling with them, which at this point is a terrifying prospect that they're this deep in the woods and the locals are going to, like, follow them in and fuck with them. And locals are fucking following them. Yeah. I would rather take my chances with the Blair Witch than have, like, inbred locals. Again, I don't know why they're inbred. None of the people we saw were, so I... <laughs> but I'm adding this, you know. What is a more nightmarish scenario for you as a movie? Uh, the Blair Witch Project or Deliverance? <laughs> Exactly. Squeal like a pig. Josh and Mike, though, are starting to get more and more pissed off at Heather because she's doing this thing where she continues to film everything despite them 100% like admitting that they're lost at this point. And shit's getting real because they're not going to have their uh, equipment back. Josh has to work the next day. And this has clearly gone way over schedule and it's fucking with their lives at this point. And this actually gave me anxiety, like, because I remembered the fear of uh, not returning your video equipment on time. Like you don't do that, man. You got to <laughs> get that shit on time. And if you don't, you're fucked. So I understood his pain at this point and I'd be pretty pissed off too. I mean, and it, it is not helped that she films literally everything. I understand when the guys are like, get that fucking, fucking camera out of my face now like because honestly it's your it it's your fault that we're here it's your fault that we're lost and now you're fucking filming us like i i would think my first reaction would be heather is fucking with us i don't know why i don't know how but heather is fucking with us that's the only possible reason that she's filming this but i kind of like the fact that it this is one of the few i guess found footage films that's kind of based on character like the the reason or the conceit as to why they're shooting is because this character is so relentless in her you know goal to make this documentary like most of them i'm always questioning like why the fuck would these people why are these people still recording when they're in mortal danger you know tj miller and cloverfield he's like <laughs> like i'm just doing this to you know show people later on but like for some reason i believe this character would do this because they've set her up as this you know egomaniacal director who's hell-bent on getting her movie at what at, at no cost 
that's kind of why you hate her is because she's continuing to film this shit. I, I would agree with that. I, I question a little bit towards the end, like when they find the house and both of them bust out cameras, that's when I get a little like, well, why are both, why do both of them have cameras? Why wouldn't you at some point just kind of like maybe not go in the house or go, you know, at least go in the house and just take a quick peek. Like I, I was a little confused about why they were filming that, but you know, I'm not going to try and poke holes in every single plot hole of this movie. So the next night, again, they hear more shit, more cracking through the woods. This time, it really sounds like giant-ass footsteps, and it's unsettling. It's just, it literally sounds like someone's stepping through the woods, but so far away that it's strange that you're hearing it at all, despite the fact that they must be an, a heavy, enormous creature, but it sounds humanoid, you know what I mean? And there's also all these little piles of rocks. There's three piles of rocks that are set up around the tent, and the map's missing. This obviously sets them off. They're freaked out that things have been messed with. There's rocks all over the place that are eerily similar to their quote unquote graveyard that they were at. And no one can fucking figure out where the map is. They initially blame Heather. Heather claims she has no fucking idea. So you're thinking the whole time, well, what's going on? Like, why, why is the map missing? Who's fucking with us? Um, eventually it comes out that fucking Mike out of frustration and possibly uh, terror kicked the map into the creek yeah he kicks it into the creek i guess the night before he reveals in this you know fit of rage where they're all just screaming at each other and they fucking lose it dude and i will say this acting is real like they're portraying frustration very well in my eyes like they you could tell they've all just fucking had it well this is the point that i keep talking about in this podcast is there's a point in this movie where they go from you know not great actors to frustrated people real frustrated people who, yes, are acting, but their performances are starting to show because they are really getting frightened and they are really tired and hungry and scared. She delivers a line here that's kind of, uh, I always, it stuck out to me when I first watched it and, it, and it really did, again, it's very hard to get lost in America these days and it's even harder to stay lost. I grew up, you know, in a place where there are a lot of woods and if you were to just keep walking, you know, north, you'd get like me lost in a mountain of Maine. There's fucking woods everywhere. This is this is a, a realistic terror of mine is to get too far into the woods and get turned around mm -hmm. and just completely lost. And it is a terrifying prospect to just keep getting further and further into the woods, specifically with these two, these three guys, though, two guys and a girl in a pizza place, because eventually they realize they're walking in circles. And that is terrifying you know it's funny you mentioned that living up in maine with all the woods because while i was in maine i did a little bit of research on what to do if you do get lost in the woods and these kids break pretty much every single rule really the rule of thumb is find an open spot make yourself visible you know build smoke build a campfire do something to make sure that people who might be looking for you can come find you and these kids do nothing but just keep walking they don't, you know, build a fire or a ton, a big smokestack in the middle of like an opening. They don't stay near the water too much. So they break almost every survival rule. They eventually, after their blow up, find these bizarre stick configurations, like these humanoid stick figures hanging from trees. And this became kind of it was either 
you know, the iconic shot of her, you know, head with the half a face with the uh, hat on there and the picture of this weird ass, you know, the Blair Witch stick configuration. These were those were the two symbols that I really equate this movie to or remembered seeing on VHS tapes and posters. And those have become iconic, really like, right. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie, because I mentioned earlier that I I really enjoyed these uh, horror movies about the occult. And if you watch occult movies, uh, these stick figures kind of make a reappearance in a lot of movies. There's something very unsettling about humans made out of sticks or woods or humanoid things made out of sticks and wood. You know, at this point, they are thoroughly freaked out and it it really just kind of pushes over the edge that, yes, something fucked up is happening here. And you mentioned, yeah, Hereditary and the Ritual. And you're right. There's something about occult films that just get me... On a on a guttural level, like I, there's something really scary about the the notion that people would you know sacrifice another human being or do these terrible deeds to appease some god that they believe in or some deity, some witch. Like that shit's like that shit gets me, dude. That's weird ass shit. Yeah, especially because we dismiss cults so easily, and I think you know the the notion that some of these terrifying ideas that these cults have could be real, I think are horrifying. Josh is like, you know, people will be looking for us at this point. We just got to wait it out. We'll keep walking tomorrow, but we got to make camp because it's getting too damn dark to find the car again. At this point, instead of cracking and shit through the woods, they start to hear like children's laughing and it's very faint and you can, re- it's almost one of those things you got to like turn up your TV to even hear because they're reacting to like, like they clearly hear something. Um, but again, it makes you attentive. It makes you listen carefully. Uh, similar to a quiet place where everyone shut the fuck up during all those very tense scenes. This is a movie that I really think benefits from no distractions, despite it being, I think quote unquote boring in a lot of places. It's one that you really, I think in order to get the full terror or, or what they're going for, you really got to give it all your senses. And especially you're hearing in this part here, I love the children's laughing and the fucking baby screams. And eventually the tent starts shaking. It's super effective because it sets up the only jump scare in this movie, which is you're sitting there straining your ears to hear these kids laughing and figure out what's going outside and then all of a sudden the tent starts fucking shaking. They use jump scares to an infuriating effect in the 2016 version. What I love about this original is there aren't those jump scares. There's no score really at all, obviously, because it's supposed to be a cobbled together collection of footage. Uh, so why would there be any sort of score? But they use things like the natural soundscape to kind of heighten the tension. And this here, you're right. Yeah, that loud banging of the tent is a good jump scare. In the in the 2016 version, I remember in the theater being fucking so angry every time the do the jump scare using the microphone, he'd like bang it into something like the actual external mic on the camera. And it would be a loud, like sound. It did it so many times that you literally could just count the amount of times they, they were frustrated and couldn't think of a scare. They're like, all right, just throw in another mic one. Like it it infuriated here. It's so well done. Aside from the ending, this is the scariest part of the movie. She sprints out of the tent. You can't really tell what the hell's happening, but they're shooting, I think, on the 16 millimeter because it's black and white, right? I think. Well, actually, I don't know because I think they have both of them, but I think the the specific shot you see is with the 16 millimeter. Because that's right. Yeah, they do have both of them, but they're sprinting in the middle of the dark. You can't see. It's pitch black except for the light on the camera that's highlighting the one who's running in front. But again, you hear her screaming, what the hell? What the fuck is that? And... 
apparently when they were shooting this the this part the directors actually had something spooky out there like a witch-like configuration that they were supposed to shoot over you know pan over and see but again in the hysteria of the moment no one caught anything they were just running through the woods wildly and he says it's you know a real benefit to the movie and something they really a happy accident that they loved that they never caught it because again it pissed a lot of viewers off but again in the scene when you're watching it you're like what the fuck is that that you're trying to strain to see what the hell is happening it's an effective scare in my opinion I like this scene a lot. I'm okay with it too, especially because after this scene, they kind of just move on. Like, obviously, something fucking terrifying happened, but like, they don't address like anything that they saw in the woods. They just know that like something fucked with them and they heard weird shit. So I think I think it also kind of works to the benefit of the plot because they they just kind of move on and they do, they don't really address anything that they quote see in the woods. Well, yeah, putting yourself in that position, you know, your only shelter in the woods at that point, the only place you feel safe-ish is underneath this little, you know, this tent, this little piece of tarp. And once that's violated, you're sprinting out, you're running out in the middle of the nowhere. I love they just have they sit in the middle of the woods in the dark, t- huddled together for you know presumably I think they say an hour when the camera comes back on. Yeah. There are a lot of time jumps in this obviously because it's jump cutting throughout the the most important stuff of the 20 hours of footage supposedly what can protect you at this point there's literally nothing you can do you have nothing on you that would would protect you it's fucking scary shit this part really got me when i first watched it and, and today even though i don't think this movie holds up again on a lot of repeat viewings i think that scene still works so the next day is actually the day when all the gear is fucked up their tent is destroyed obviously because something was clearly at the outside last night and, and destroyed some shit and there's this whole bit here that i did want to touch on was just when he's looking through the camera and he's talking to her about and it kind of gives some uh, some insight as to why heather might be also continuing to shoot all this shit when he talks about how it it, it creates this filtered reality when you're looking through it doesn't quite seem real it was a nice little bit i know all of this shit's probably improv from the actors and some of it was probably really hokey i imagine going through the footage of this must have been like oh god that's awful this yeah, is jesus bad. christ like just trying yeah. to find the parts that they can squeeze in to make these guys look like good actors i think really this movie's a testament to good editing than anything else i would agree with that it they're there, there just must have been so much shit that was like, why would we use this? Why would we use this? Why would we use this? And to cut two hours of this or how, how 20 hours, you said? Yeah, to 81 minutes, yeah. Fucking 81 minutes. God, that must have been just hell of a work by the editor. So this is what we were talking about earlier. At this point, they've they've realized that they've crossed this bridge, this log before, and that they've been walking in circles. So that at this point, they're both they're all mentally broken. Josh is cursing God and shit. They're just screaming. But the next morning, Josh has disappeared. This is when things really finally start to ratchet up. They break down camp, hoping that they'll find him in the meantime. But he just doesn't come back. And eventually, they wind up hearing these you know, wailings of pain. Like you can tell that night in the middle of the dark, they hear him just screaming in, uh, in what sounds like horrific pain. And so they wake up the next day and I, I don't know where Mike is. He might've went off to like go pee or like scout something, but Heather wakes up and sees, uh, this bundle and it of sticks that's wrapped in pieces of Josh's shirt. And so when she looks inside it, I had to look up what it is because it's kind of tough to see in the film what it is, but apparently what it is are pieces of Josh's hair and blood and uh, I guess a little part of his tongue. Yep, too, I think some teeth in, in there as bundle. well. 
and teeth. And so, and they're clearly Josh's because it's been wrapped in his shirt. Uh, this, the hair looks like his hair. So Heather, uh, obviously freaked out about this, but decides not to tell Mike to kind of, you know, make sure that he keeps his head. So they just, they kind of move on. They accept that Josh is gone, um, for whatever reason. And that's when we get the famous, uh, I apologize line, the whole monologue in front of the camera. Yeah. At this point, she basically, you know, admits that they're in this predicament because of her says goodbye to her parents. And yeah, this, this again has been parodied. I would keep going back to the Sherry O'Terry part in a scary movie with the snots just running out of her nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, it's a good scene. Like I, when she's like, I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. She, at this point, the actress has lost all, you know, vanity. You know, she's willing to just, there's snot running down her nose. She never touches it. And I always like movies where they're able yeah. to give like a last will and testament, especially the one in Deep Blue Sea where he teaches, where LL Cool J obviously teaches us how to cook the perfect omelet. Stop, yes. stop, stop, <laughs> stop, 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 no. stop. And before we move stop, on from that bundle stop, of sticks with stop. hair, I used to, I still actually to this day get presents from my dad, which is just like, like bags of hair and toenail clippings in my stocking each Christmas. That's disgusting. That's awful. Yeah, it's a tradition. Well, I, you know what, man? I, I think your dad hates you. Seriously, though, he, when he gets his hair cut, he asks like, to collect it. And then later on that year, I'm not even joking, every year almost, I'll get a little fucking baggie. And it's like, oh, you got me the baggie full of, yep, it's hair and toenail clippings. Just like a joke. It's like, oh, cool, thanks, Dad. And he's like, all right. I think your dad hates you. And if you think, oh, he probably just reuses that bag when you throw it away for the next year. No, it's new. It's always new. And that's that's how I know he loves me. Okay, uh, moving on from that. After the testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. After the testimonial, uh, they hear Josh again. He's not in pain this time. But he's calling out for help, and he's calling out for Mike and Heather, and they follow the noises. Mike has the handheld, and Heather has the 16 millimeter, and they follow them into an abandoned house. And I I don't know about you, but when I saw the house, I immediately thought of the hermit. I assumed it was the hermit's house. Yes, yes. And again, I'm not sure if we're—I think we're supposed to believe it is his house, correct? I, I believe so, and it would make sense because they go inside— and they're trying to follow. They think they hear Josh upstairs. So they go upstairs trying to follow the sound of his voice. And on the wall in this old, decrepit, derelict house uh, are hand bloody handprints of children. Yeah. Some of them are in blood and some of them are in charcoal. It's pretty it's 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 a striking image. It is. And in the black and white, it is fucking terrifying in the pitch black with the, the little flashlights on the cameras. It's just scary as hell. Josh or yeah, I'm sorry, Mike believes that he hears Josh in the basement. So he runs down there. He's clearly attacked by something. And this is where we get that awesome sound design because he drops the camera, but the handheld is the only thing picking up sound. So even though you're following Heather, it sounds like Heather is in a different room. Yeah, it sounds like Um, she's far away. Yeah, like she's far away and she's panicking and she's screaming and she's afraid because she's all alone and as she goes down into the basement that's when you start to it starts to sound like she's actually in the room with you so the sound design is actually building up to this climax along with everything else that's going on i think it's 
fucking radical for a movie that uses no music. It's incredible. And her performance is really good. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, Mike, Mike. And she sees him once she gets to the bottom of the basement. And he is standing, staring in the corner, just like the children with the hermit, dude. And then there's a loud bang as she screams. The camera falls on the ground and the film kind of rattles. And boom, it ends. Yeah, there's no title card telling you about any investigation or anything like that. It comes up on the screen directed by, you know, Sanchez and Merrick, which at that point you'd think all of the people who thought this was a film would be like, oh, or thought this was a real, you know, documentary would have been like, oh, shit. Well, if it's directed by someone, it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably not well, a it was fake. real snuff film. But uh, but yeah, man, that's the Blair Witch Project. What, uh, what are your thoughts? You said something earlier that I was kind of saving for this moment. Um, this movie... Is is such a pioneer in the found film uh, and just kind of the way that a lot of people have tried to replicate that nobody can quite replicate. I think this movie was very unique in not only its marketing, but even in the the handheld and found footage thing. No one's been able to find that happy medium that this movie found uh, that balances kind of the amateurism of people just shooting their own stuff and the unique horror that this movie brings that being said on a second watch and this is only the second time i've seen this movie it loses some of its edge because you know not to expect to see anything in this movie you're gonna you're gonna see these people break down and you're gonna see you know some scary elements and it's still good but it's not nearly as impactful or scary as it is on your first watch because you're straining like when am i gonna see this witch am i gonna see this witch what the fuck's gonna happen knowing what happens and knowing that you really don't actually see anything in the movie definitely kind of lessens its blow on a second watch but that being said i think for a found footage movie which i i'm not a fan of at least today i think it's still a very well done movie i think there are elements of it because it was such a guerrilla movie um that are absolutely brilliant and i think an 87 rating is completely justified uh that being said is it worth the second watch maybe to get sort of movie history but uh, it won't be nearly as good on the second time around. Yeah, I have to recommend this to people who haven't seen the movie since its initial release and and people who are watching it for the very first time. I would say specifically more to people who are, who are seeing it for the first time because you're right. It's hard to distance myself from that very first viewing of this movie because it, it truly impacted me. I, I still remember it to this day. Rewatching the movie, it doesn't have the best group of actors. There are large chunks of this movie that is based on you, you know, going out of your way to research backstory and 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 kind of um, you know the history of this legend to really understand a lot of what's going on. Like for instance, we don't even know how the footage was found. You have to go into you know the backstory of this. Apparently, they find the footage under in the backpack in Mike's backpack underneath underneath the cement and everything. I guess they find it uh, a history class is digging at the University of Maryland and that's where they find it underneath untouched. So it's completely supernatural how it got there or whatnot. But just to know that is like, Oh fuck, that's weird. Like how, and, and to know about the, the faux investigations that went in, I don't know. I think this movie is a bit more prank than film. I, I look at the movies that, that I actually I strangely compare it to though, with its influence. And I'm talking like, I think this is one of the most influential movie horror films ever. I'm talking next to like psycho and Halloween and scream. I mean, like 
to influence the genre so much because we touched on it earlier, the Paranormal Activity and, and Cloverfield. Those are two of the, the good ones. This created an entire subgenre of horror that I've fucking hated for years on end. Yeah, it's awful. I can't buy into so many of these movies, you know, plots and, and why they're recording. And the, the found footage, it's a gimmick more than anything. It's a crutch that I think filmmakers use to make a cheap movie and to throw something in theaters that wouldn't work as a narrative film. Would the Blair Witch Project work as a narrative movie? It could. Um, I don't necessarily think I'd want to see that, though. I would, however, like to see some more of the legend behind this and maybe some of the, the older stories or something like that. I think the Blair Witch Project really fit in in 1999, um, and it's a great kind of milestone and marker for where horror was to go and, and how it was shaped after this. I would say I'm going to give it a probably mid seventies. I think it deserves, I would call it like a horror classic. It's just one that I can't put it in the ranks of, of my favorites just simply because of the rewatchability factor. It's just not there for me. Like I can't see myself revisiting this again and again. However, I can see myself showing this to someone who's never seen it before. And for that, um, it's definitely worth a watch for anyone who hasn't seen it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, give it a watch. I, I don't um, quite get the the vitriol and the hate that this movie has spawned. Um, a lot of people really dislike this movie, demanded their money back. And while I can understand if you're looking for a conventional movie, horror movie, this isn't it. But for the for its legacy in itself, it's definitely worth a recommend. You know, I, I kind of like what you said about uh, the found footage and the handheld camera stuff sort of being a gimmick and a crutch for a lot of modern-day horror movies that try and use it. I 100% agree with that. I would say this is the one exception, the one movie where I think uh, the storytelling and narrative really lends itself to the guerrilla-style shooting and to the handheld uh, camera work. Uh, just because I, like you said, I can't see this movie being a traditional horror movie. I just, like, I don't think it would be that good. I think part of what makes it scary is the idea that you are very limited in your scope and what you can see. Um, that being said, I, I don't think we should ever do another handheld movie again. I think if we were to pick one to stay, and that would be it, it would be this movie. I don't think we should ever do it again. But I think this movie is the one movie, strangely enough, one of the first movies to do it, but maybe the only movie that executes it well enough where it makes the movie actually better. Yes, I 100%. The Blair Witch Project is by far the best found footage film, in my opinion. I enjoy Cannibal Holocaust for its campiness and how fucked up and weird it is. The Paranormal Activity movies do nothing for me. I saw the first one, and I didn't need to see any of the other ones after that. I did enjoy... Uh, yeah, you don't. I used to screen I used to screen the other ones in college when I worked uh, for the, the campus movie theater, and uh, it's not worth it. it. They're bullshit. I did enjoy uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. I thought that was kind of clever, and I did like Cloverfield, too. I thought the first one was good. I mean, the 10 Cloverfield Lane, I think, is a better movie, but I did like Cloverfield as a as a theater-going experience. Yeah, I remember seeing Cloverfield and thinking that it was good. That movie also gave me a headache. I don't think it was done very well. If you are looking for one other found footage uh, horror flick, in my opinion, the, the second best one is a movie called The Poughkeepsie Tapes. And it was a very small movie oh, that was supposed I've to be that, released. Yeah. yeah, supposed to be released oh, like 2007 or whatever, but the studio went bankrupt. And it's a very independent uh, found footage film about basically like a, a collection of serial killers tapes that he leaves for the FBI to find. Very well done. The second movie I will not recommend. I did, like I said, watch it. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. I do think it has a clever little kind of meta concept in which the movie is based. Okay, the movie is 
presents itself rather as a supposed dramatic reenactment of events that follow the movie's release. So it's like people coming to the town, but it's not, again, it's not a movie based on that. It's mo it's a dramatic reenactment, almost like those like f forensic file shows right. okay. <laughs> of like people getting like the residents getting really angry that everyone comes to Burkittsville, Maryland to like party because they're like looking for the Blair Witch. It's a, it's a horrible film, but uh, a fun little meta concept. I kind of dug that. That's Blair Witch. What are we doing next week? We're taking a stroll to Halloween Town. Uh, not the same. Is it the same Halloween Town? Um, I it's called Halloween Town, so. right? In the movie, that I, we're I, doing I the night before Christmas. Man. All right, but what I'm questioning, what I'm questioning, it is called Halloween Town, right? In the movie, I I'll be honest. Um, I'm gonna come in a little cynical with this one, just because this is a movie that I remember liking perfectly fine, but uh, just kind of the the culture around it much like hocus pocus i think is just a little overblown i think it's i've always thought it was kind of an overrated movie so i'm gonna be very curious to see what i think of next week well i'm gonna paint my nails black dude just for the occasion terrible don't do that and i'm gonna get a jack skellington tattoo on my face great all right i you know what i'm glad we're doing over the phone so i don't have to see that so you can hang up as soon as possible as soon as i can <laughs> but anyway so yeah definitely tune into that you can always find us on uh, nbd.podbean.com you can also catch us on itunes and other places where you might find these podcasts give us a like on facebook and uh, Twitter and all that and please for the love of God tell your friends about this fucking podcast please guys please for the love of God that'd be dope write us a review on iTunes because the more good uh, reviews the more eyes usually get on the podcast yeah so that'd absolutely be cool so before we take off Brandon uh, your recommend and unrecommend for the week. Well, I uh, actually got the chance to see both of the major motion pictures released this weekend, uh, A Star is Born and Venom, one of which I'll recommend, the other I don't. Um, let's just start it off, dude. Lady Gaga can't sing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I I'm not going to recommend Venom. It uh, was it was not a not a fun time at the movies. This is a strange, it's a bizarre movie though, man. I'll give you that. It's and Tom Hardy's performance, you you had mentioned that uh, he seemed like he was either sleeping or forgetting his lines and some of the promotional materials. Mm -hmm. I say this movie has been marketed so strangely. Dude, his performance in this fucking movie is like Ace Ventura. He is going, at, like, it's it's so weirdly over the top and strange. Like, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by it and also, like, repulsed by it. I don't know, man. It's a movie that I will say isn't as, like, bad i can't say it's kind of a dumpster fire but like it's not boring bad i'll say that like it's not a piece of shit that like you'll just completely forget about like i think i might remember <laughs> bits of venom for a while because they're just so outlandishly bizarre but yeah it's not worth watching uh unless you're a huge fan of i guess if you like the character a lot you know it's cool i guess to see him in live action but some of the effects are pretty shitty and a lot of the cast members are wasted and right. You know, it was, but it was relatively painless. I'll say, Oh, I was just going to say, I plan on going to see it soon and write a review on it. Um, because we've been, me and my friends have just been fucking making fun of the trailers for, for weeks. We've been making fun of the venom trailer and I feel like we've talked ourselves into seeing it just because we want to make fun of it a little bit more. So, uh, I'm getting, so I'm getting super excited about that. I'm going to write a review on it, and I'm also going to write a review on my recommend 
this week, but I or from last week, but I'll tell you about that in a second. Go ahead and talk about A Star Is Born. Uh yeah, man, A Star Is Born. It was uh, I'd say as good as I you know thought it would be. I, I it didn't blow me away. It's not a movie. I don't think it's necessarily the best film of the year. However, it uh, I was thinking about it the other day, and a lot of these kind of independent films have recently been taking uh, the best picture win at the Oscars of recent years with movies like you know Moonlight and what the hell one The Shape of Water was also an independent movie. It's just uh, we hadn't had a movie that was like a crowd pleasing hit in a while like that they used to make all the studios were making those types of movies like Titanic and fucking Shakespeare in Love and all that bullshit. They're making those like, you know, crowd pleasing, feel good movies all the time. And while I will say A Star is Born is actually super fucking depressing, I also don't know any of the previous iterations, so I didn't know where the story is going. Apparently this is very faithful to that story, so if you know where it's going, you get the picture. I didn't and <laughs> dude, the movies oh so bummer, real bummer. But uh yeah, it's it was really well made. Bradley Cooper's voice sounds Dude, amazing. Dude, Cooper Scooper, he can do it all, man. He can speak French and sing and... And he's handsome as hell. Oh, man. Oh, my God. He's a gorgeous man. And I'm not a country fan, but the music that he does use in this, it's uh, it's like the old school, like, Willie Nelson country mixed with some rock. So it's not that stadium, you know, Eric Church stuff. But you know what I mean? It's not like fucking stadium country, but Kenny Chesney shit. <laughs> Nothing about red solo cups or wagon wheels? Yeah, I'm directly attacking you fucking people who listen to those songs. No, dude, nothing about pickup trucks or Joel or Jolden retrievers, man. But I'll recommend it, dude. Yeah, I, I, overall, it's a recommend. I can see it uh, winning a lot of Academy Awards because it's a very Academy-friendly movie. But, uh, you know, good performances from Sam Elliott. It was also great to see fucking Dave Chappelle and Eddie Griffin in supporting roles. <laughs> I was like, right on. Nice. But what do you got, man? Uh, this week, I'm going to recommend because, you know, this is a movie podcast and none of my recommends have been movies. Um, oh, no, one of them was a movie, but uh, I'm going to stick with the recommending shows thing i've been watching ozark um which i know has been out for a while the second season came out fairly recently um but i've been i've been very determined not to watch breaking bad for a sixth time (laughs) um and someone said hey instead of doing that because i came very close but hey instead of doing that give ozark a shot um, because it's kind of a similar concept, and uh, while it is not Breaking Bad by any stretch of the imagination, it's still a very good show. Jason Bateman um, continues to do some more serious roles, and he's pretty good in it, while also just being the dad from Arrested Development at all times. I love me some J. Bates, um, dude. And, uh, but it's it's very good. It's, um, it's kind of a more interesting story, um, so... I would give that a watch if you got some spare time and if it's been sitting on your list for a while, uh, definitely go in on that. My not recommend, um, and this is kind of delayed a little bit, but it did come out on Blu-ray fairly recently, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Don't fucking go see Solo if you haven't seen it. Don't fucking bother with that movie. It's awful. They ruin Han Solo, and that's it, not just me being a nerdy Star Wars guy. They, it legitimately... It's character assassination, what they do in that movie. And it's uh, outright, to me, kind of just a bad movie. Uh, Not a lot of fun. Um, Kind of confusing in the way that they're going about telling Star Wars stories. And uh, if you're going to go out and buy a Blu-ray... Just just go settle on something else. Hey, dude, uh, what's your name? Uh, I don't have a name. I'm all alone. How about individual (laughs) (laughs) Han individual fuck that movie yeah Han individual 
individual, a Star Wars story. Well, thank you everyone yeah, for uh, listening movie. to Nostalgia Be Damned. Like we said, write us a review, yeah. all that good shit. We appreciate it. And we love your faces. Don't be a turd in the wind. <laughs> God damn it. Fuck Venom. All right. <laughs> Peace. Bye.